Thank you, bro. All right, church, you know what's coming. What's up, fam? How, how you living? You doing good today? I'm doing really good. I'm enjoying the day. Um, I, I, love, I love Idaho, but I need to file a complaint to the complaints department. I moved here November 1st of 2020, and by like November 3rd, there was snow. What is going on? I'm, I'm just letting you know right now that this is one angry new Idahoan who is trying to embrace this season, but I need snow. And I don't know what you think about snow. I don't really care what you think about snow. If we don't have a snowmageddon this year, I'm out. I'm just letting you, I'm, just, I'm gone. I'm just, I'm just kidding, that's not true. But I could really go for some snow right now. Uh, no, seriously, like really, really need it. Uh, Pastor Chase is right, we seem like we're stuck in fall. Um, it's gotten colder. I didn't even bring a coat today. Like, I was like 32, I was like, that's, that's child's play, that's nothing. Let's go. I want like nine degrees and snow. Yes. Lori, I rebuke you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, seriously, I am, I'm really looking forward to some snow. Um, th this is my opportunity this year to have a white Christmas, and I want a white Christmas, okay? So it's happening. It's happening. Okay, anyways, um, it's Christmas time. And uh, before I get started today, I just want to say, Pastor Stan, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for opening your pulpit uh, to me. Uh, to hopefully not mess this thing up. So uh, appreciate it. No, seriously, uh, I love you, value you, your friendship, and who you are as a person. You mean the world to me. Thank you so much for the opportunity uh, this morning. Uh, but as we get going, we, uh, Pastor Stan and I have been talking about this series for a couple of weeks now and kind of just figure out, hey, where do we want to go? What directions we want to go? Let me just walk you through December real quick. Uh, today, uh, you get to listen to your boy. I got to preach. And uh, the next two Sundays, you do not want to miss. I've talked through these sermons with Pastor Stan. He's told me what he's going to preach on, and I am so pumped, looking forward to December and all that we have going on. Uh, not just that, but Christmas Eve. Uh, we have an awesome Christmas Eve service that the team's been working on, putting together. We are really looking forward to that evening. Uh, but also Christmas Sunday the 19th, it's like a week ahead, just be aware of that. Uh, we're going to have all the kiddos in children's ministry up here. They're going to be singing and dancing, doing a song. So bring your camcorders, your iPads, your VCRs that day and record your kiddos. Well, because it's Christmas time. If it's not on a VCR, it never happened, okay? Or a VHS. It's been a while, okay? It's been a while, okay? Well, anyways, uh, bring them because you wanna run, you're going to want to record your kiddos up here as they sing and dance. They're practicing probably right now in their, in their rooms. So looking forward to that day. Uh, Christmas, uh, like I said, Christmas Eve, we got our, our backdrop set up over here. Santa's going to be here on Christmas Eve, so make sure your kiddos can get a picture with Santa. You're not going to have to wait in a 45-minute line. God bless America, right? Or you're not going to have to pay for it. You're not going to have to, you know, schedule a RSVP at time. You, you just walk up and take a picture and you move on, okay? Uh, so we're really looking forward to that day as well. Uh, so please just clear your calendar. Sundays, you need to be here. Christmas Eve, be here at 5 p.m. We have a great, great night planned uh, as we celebrate, obviously, the birth of our Savior, Jesus. So looking forward to a great week and a good time, or good month, sorry. Um, but hey, as we, as we get started in December now, we're, we're kicking off a new series uh, with nothing better than a title than It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And when you hear that, you automatically think of a song. And so just to get going, I just, I just want to know, does anybody have a favorite Christmas song? Uh, maybe you have to think about it really hard. I don't know. Uh, but for me, uh, I have, well, when I was a kid, I had a favorite Christmas song. 
Uh, I'm a Grinch now, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I, I love the song because on Saturday mornings, I don't know if you know this or not, but religiously, uh, my brother and I would wake up at 6 a.m. every Saturday uh, because we were going to watch Transformers, we were going to watch Beast Wars, and Batman the Cartoon Series. You had better believe it. And I remember being like three, four, five years old, and as I'm saying this, I'm visually seeing it in my mind, me running around the living room and singing and dancing to a song Jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. And I just thought in my five-year-old mind that was the greatest song ever written. I thought it was hilarious. I loved it. I don't know what you think about that song, but I like that song. Like still to this day, 33 years old, man, Jingle bells, Batman smells all the way. That to me symbolizes Christmas in one song. That's exciting. Uh, But maybe you like something a little more traditional. I don't know if you're like, you know, light the candle and silent night. Oh, you guys sound wonderful. So, so maybe you like a little more of the traditional Christmas. I'm a little more edgy with it. That's okay. Or you're going to find out why I don't sing on the worship team and my wife will not give me a microphone that goes into the house. Is because in that classic Andy Williams tone, it's the most wonderful time. Yes, right? So I don't know what it is for you, but man, I love Christmas. The Christmas songs, I'm not going to lie, it takes me a minute to get into, and I think that's why I just like Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Laid an Egg, and I'm happy with that. And I'm content with my Christmas song that says that, but I just want to encourage you this year. This Christmas season, man, make some lasting memories with your family. No, No season of the year like October, November, December sets itself up for families to create traditions, to create memories, uh, to enjoy time, to celebrate life. And I think what is a hindrance to this sometimes is that we reminisce on maybe some lost loved ones during this time. Because when they were with us, man, wasn't it just the most wonderful time of the year with them? And so I, I, I understand that this season can bring a lot of joy. I also understand that this season can bring a lot of heartache. And so my, my encouragement to you today, as we get, really get into the Christmas season, man, embrace this thing. Embrace it. Create a memory with those around you. Embrace those you are with. Embrace the laughter. Embrace the ice skating and the snowballs and the candy canes. Just, man, embrace Christmas this year. Make a memory to let it be the most wonderful time of the year for you and for your family, especially the way the past few years have been. Amen. I mean, come on, let's just, let's embrace this season. Uh, New traditions, maybe. I know for me and my family, this is a a new one for me. We are going to be here for Christmas morning in my own house. I haven't done that since, uh, wow, I I can't even tell you when, ever since I've been married, uh, ever since I met Kristen, she's like, I like you. Christmas morning is going to be at my family's house. You don't have a choice. And so uh, before we were even married, I was spending Christmas morning with them. I love them so, so very much. Debbie is right over there right now. I have to be very careful. That is my mother-in-law. Um, yep. Kristen learned it from somewhere. So um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you, Debbie. I love you. Uh, no, but seriously, uh, you know, this, for, for me, this is a new one, new tradition. Maybe uh, for you this season, if you're saying, man, I just got some heartache, maybe start a new tradition. Find something that you can embrace, that you can be all in on and embrace it, have fun and just enjoy the most wonderful time of the year because you still have life. Enjoy it to the fullest, right? Uh, But in thinking of memories of Christmas and Christmas songs and all these things, I want to go back to the first Christmas. Surprise, Christmas series, 
we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus, right? So we're, we're gonna, I want to go back to like the very first few Christmases. We're going to span a time frame here from like day zero to like five years, four years in on Jesus's life and to see kind of what was going on here. So that's what we're going to look at today. So not necessarily Jesus being born, uh, but we're going to look at the first few Christmases, the first few celebrations that Jesus had for his birthday. And people put trees up in Bethlehem in their house and right. That's, that's when it started, right? No, that started like a hundred years ago. But anyways, uh, we're, we're going to get into this today. And uh, today uh, I'm going to talk about a person who really is not a like main character in the story at all. He, he's kind of a guy that we like read about and we just move on because we're trying to get to like the main point of the story. That is Jesus born in Bethlehem, right? And the shepherds come and celebrate. Like we're trying to get to like the big triumphant Emmanuel, God with us, right? And the angels singing and the celebration, right? And so, so I want to talk to you about someone who really didn't have like much of anything to do with the story, but he actually did. He's a passing footnote in the, in the Bible, but really what he did is, is crazy and wild. And he really made the first few years of, of Jesus being born for Mary and Joseph like a nightmare. He, he, he is the reason for a whole lot of troubles that Jesus faced before he was like five years old. So let's get into these famous portions of scripture. Matthew chapter two, we're gonna read the first eight verses. It says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, that is the wise men that we all know of, they arrived from the east in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king for the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, that is Herod, where is the Messiah to be born? And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. See, like I said, I think a lot of us know the story of Christmas. We're all very familiar with um, Jesus being born. That's kind of like the main point of Christmas, right? Uh, we're, we're all aware of the shepherds who showed up and, you know, they sang the, the chorus of angels, Emmanuel, God is with us, glory to God in the highest. And, you know, we, we, we've heard these stories. We obviously know of Mary and Joseph, the stepdad, right? Like we, we know of all these characters. We know of the mean innkeeper who had no room for Jesus, right? That's a sermon in and of itself. There you go, right? Do you have room for Jesus? Done. Okay, so it's a sermon within a sermon. But we kind of all know, and even if you've never been to church before, you're still at least somewhat familiar with the birth of Jesus, the, most, the greatest incident in human history ever, right? We're all familiar with it, but we skim past this first part of the story to get to the main point, right? We're just, we're just moving on, right? Now, look, I'm a pastor. I'm obviously a very big fan of Jesus. I've dedicated my life and my career to talking about him, Okay. I love him. I think he's awesome. However, in the footnote of this story is what I want to dive into today. It really isn't about Jesus. It's about this king, Herod. I want to, I want to talk today about him, and I want to get into the power that he had. I want to talk today about the throne that he was jealous of. Today, I want to talk today about the influence that he has over people and what he was doing. And really, when you look at not church history, just human history, 
the friends that this guy had in high places. This guy was really a big deal. In the Bible, he's a small little note, but really in human history, he did a lot of stuff, a lot of crazy, crazy stuff. So we skip to talk about the king, to talk about the real king, capital K, that is Jesus. So today I want to dive into this story of Herod and who he was and what he did uh, to really make the first few Christmases a living nightmare. And what he did so wrong and how you and I as Christians today, as followers of Jesus can, today, can learn from someone who never wanted to follow Jesus. How can you and I walk out of those doors today as better followers of Jesus by learning from Herod is what I want to get into. So we're going to get into this. And the biggest thing about a king, the biggest fear that every human king uh, has ever dealt with, this fear of his succession the only king to never deal with this is Jesus himself because his throne will never be overturned. But every human king in all of human history has had the fear, the thought in the back of his mind, what happens to me and my kingdom and my name when I am gone? Every fear, every king lives with that fear. And this fear is all over Herod. So let me give you a little background on who Herod is or who Herod was. This fear is all over him. He actually... Is about, he has a firstborn son, and we know this, that the firstborn son is the one who becomes king when the king dies. Well, Herod didn't like that kid, so he killed him. I mean, it's, you know, it just makes sense. It's like, I don't want him to be king when I die. He doesn't like me. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> he kills his firstborn son, who's supposed to take over when he dies, right? He's supposed to inherit everything, and Herod's just like, I don't like the kid. Kill him. And so they, they kill the firstborn son of Herod, who's supposed to become the king. You see, Herod had this issue on the inside of his heart. He was plagued with jealousy. He was covered in it. He, he was known, and you can look in human history, he was known for his violent outburst that usually came about because he was jealous for something. Jealous of someone. Jealous of one of his wives, perhaps, which actually he had eight wives. He had, he had a favorite wife. Okay, if I had eight wives. Um, Kristen said, watch it. I'm going to stop. I would imagine that there'd be a favorite, okay? I'm just, I don't know, but I, okay? And Kristen would be it. And so, Bob, my homie, I owe you lunch, bro. That was awesome. Uh, but anyways, uh, uh, looking at this, Herod had eight wives and he had a favorite and his sister didn't like this chick. Herod's sister was like, no, I don't like her, uh-uh, right? You got, got problems, you got issues. I don't know what it was behind the scenes. They did not get along. And so Herod's sister was always telling him, hey, she was looking at another guy. And he, she was feeding suspicions of unfaithfulness that Herod actually killed his favorite wife. But his jealousy wasn't satisfied. He actually killed two more sons that he had through her. And yet his jealousy still was not satisfied. So he killed her mom just because. And then one day, I guess, finally, his, his jealousy subsided and he stopped killing family members. I, this guy was crazy. He's completely unlevel. He, he's, he's, he's wild. And not only that, so mentally he is struggling, but physically it is a known fact that he had a cardiovascular disease which caused blood clots in his chest and in his neck. So physically he's in pain. Mentally he is struggling. This is a human being who is not enjoying the most wonderful time of the year. He's having a hard time. Physically and mentally he is struggling. Right? He, he is, he's known for this in human history. And actually, before he actually did die, about when Jesus was four or five years old, somewhere in that range, he actually attempted suicide. This guy was really hurting. 
So step aside from how rude he was. Man, can you imagine the anguish he's feeling mentally? Can you imagine probably the pain he's realizing that he caused other people? That, that he took lives from his own kids? In his old age, he's probably struggling mentally with what he's done. He, he's having a really hard time this December. He's hurting. And not only that, he's just fueled with this jealousy of fear of his succession. And it is the driving force of his life. It is pushing every decision that he is making, his jealousy and fear of the future. I actually found this out from Pastor Stan. I told him I was going to talk about Herod. He's like, oh, he started sharing some fun facts with me. And uh, one of the facts is that he was, uh, Herod was four foot 11, which is a whole three inches taller than Pastor Stan. (laughs) Pretty awesome, right? That's amazing. I mean, talk about a Napoleon complex, right? right? Little man syndrome, whatever you want to call it. But he's kind of like the little chihuahua that when you walk in the room, right? It's like, ooh, so threatening, ooh, right? It's scary, right? And it's like, all you're gonna need is like maybe a Band-Aid because that's like the worst damage it can cause, right? The little chihuahua, right? It's just annoying, right? Small, little, weak. So, sorry, I'm talking about Pastor Stan still. Sorry, let's get back to Harry. <clears throat> right, okay. <clears throat> No, okay, no, seriously, okay, let's, let's get back to it. I think, I think Herod did have a Napoleon complex. I don't think Pastor Stan does, okay? But Herod was so unstable, he would probably, if he was alive today, he would probably cry during Hallmark movies. Yeah, 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 come on. If you weren't here last week, you would have learned that Pastor Stan cried in a Hallmark movie. <clears throat> it's been a joy working here. <laughs> I love you all. Um, but I think we all know the outcome of this one. No, I'm just kidding. Past Dan, I love you, man. You know, it's, it's all in jokes. We joke and poke fun of each other all week, all day long. So yeah, he's preaching next week. He doesn't have any ammunition. So hey, it's all good. I, I, I don't ever say or admit that I would cry in a Hallmark movie. I don't even watch Hallmark movies. Anyways, let's really get back to the story this time. I will relent and I will move on. <clears throat> Anyways, re- looking back, let's read one sentence from this portion of scripture that we read. It says, when Herod, the king, heard this, that is the birth of Jesus, he was troubled and all. Everyone say all. all. Jerusalem with him. Do we need the definition of all? All, all means Everybody. all, right? So all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And now let me remind you, he was known for his violent outbursts. He was known for his jealousy. He was known for just randomly attacking people if he was jealous. He was known for this. And so the people of Jerusalem fell into two categories here. There's probably more, but these are the two outstanding categories that I see as a human being trying to struggle and live in Jerusalem during this time. The first category that I see is that Herod has found out that the Jews now have a king. What is he going to do to this city? What is going to happen? They're probably thinking he's going to kill that little boy. He's jealous. He wants one of his sons to be king. There's no way he's going to allow a new person to come in here and allow him to overthrow this throne. Not a chance. He's going to kill that poor little boy. And this is probably the people who had their minds on right. These are probably the people who had their head on straight and they were like, hey, Herod's crazy. We live in a wild, wild city under his leadership. Man, what's going to happen here? Then there's probably the thoughts in this category of people who are saying, you know what? I'm Jew. Does he think that the Jews are going to cause like a revolutionary war in a couple years? So he's just going to kill us all now? Can you imagine the fear that is going on for these people at this time? The people who had their heads on right, who are going, oh my gosh, Herod is crazy. 
that little boy is going to die or I'm going to die. Herod is going to do something here to stop a revolution from taking place. He's going to do whatever he can to make sure that his throne stays in his family. And so these are the people who are saying, hey, you know what's going on here? And so my question is what we can learn from all of this is having our heads on right like these people. What is it like on the other side of you? My friend Steve Viner said that, and I will never forget it. What is it like on the other side of you? What am, I, what am I getting at here? What I'm getting at is when bad news comes your way or a threatening thing arises in your life, what do people expect you to do? The people of Jerusalem expected Herod to act a certain way. They expected him to go crazy and to either kill Jesus or to go crazy in the city, to make an emotional decision that's going to affect how they live tomorrow. They expected that. So what is it like on the other side of you? And the image that you're putting out there, is that really the image that you want people to expect of you? What is it like on the other side of you? To be on the receiving end of bad news in your life, what is it like to be on the receiving end of that? Are you known for your attacks, verbal, physical, mental, emotional? Or are you known for your love? Are you known for your consideration? What are you known for? Herod was known for something. What are you known for? What is it like on the other side of you? How would your spouse answer that question? And depending on how your spouse would answer that question, is that how you want them to answer the question? That gets scary, right? What is it like on the other side of you? What can you and I learn from Herod today to find an appropriate way to address people so that they expect healthy interactions from us rather than attacks? rather than verbal, emotional, or physical abuse, whatever it may be. What is it like on the other side of you? The other category that the people of Jerusalem probably fell into here is just falling along with the influence of King Herod, the fear of the future, the fear of who's going to be king in Jerusalem. And these are the people who just followed blindly. No one does that nowadays, the leaders of a country, right? I will not get political, I refuse. However, it is true. People do follow along with just the leadership that is given to them. And they follow and they react and they see things and that's how they then allow their life to go. And I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not the healthiest thing to do. I, I would say a majority of the people in this room are parents. If you're not a parent, it's okay. You can still pay attention. You can still learn something from this. Okay? But a majority of us in this room are parents and we have little kiddos that we are raising and trying to do our absolute best with, right? And I have to remind myself that little Tatum and little Riker are going to repeat what they see me do. Yeah. I have to remind myself, remind myself, remind myself that I, they're going to do what I do. So much so that let me just embarrass myself completely while we're live online. And just here it is. My dad did this really weird thing with his pinky and he would scratch the inside of his ear so much so that the car would literally shake. Right. <laughs> And I remember just being like seven years old, being like, oh my gosh, dad, like, are you good? Yeah, like just shaking in the, obviously not that much, but I remember shaking and going crazy. The other day, your boy got in there and man, did the car shake. The Bronco was like, right? Not from the engine, from me shaking and scratching my ear with my pinky. And I was like, no, I'm acting like Eddie Nix. No, I am Steven. I don't do that. No, it's too late. The habit has been caught. The habit has been taught. I have received it. And I scratch the inside of my ear with my pinky, much like my dad. And it is so weird. And, and I know I'm totally embarrassing myself. Everyone's like, Stevie scratches his ear with his pinky. I, I get it. It's weird. But man, if it itches, you got to take care of it, right? But anyways, 
We, we repeat what we see by repetition. And let me just say this. If you see a behavior in your kid that you do not like, it's likely that you failed to see it in you first. I wrote that down on Monday and I was like, ouch. But it's so true. I literally look at our kids and Tatum and Riker and I go, oh my gosh, that's just like me. Oh my gosh, that's just like Kristen. Whether it be good or bad, all I'm saying is that, oh my gosh, you are literally clones of us. You're copying everything that you see. I remember something that my coach would say all the time in, in football in high school. He would always say this, do as I say, not as I do. That's impossible. If we are trying to parent like this, Man, we're going to fail miserably, and we're going to have a terrible time of the year, not a wonderful time of the year. We're going to have a really hard time. No, if I want healthy behaviors in my home, it starts with me. If I want my kids to behave healthy, I need to behave healthy. And the people of Jerusalem just followed Herod blindly here. He said, man, if Herod's going crazy, I'm going to go crazy with them. And I got scientific proof on this. Actions speak much louder than words. Here it is. Did you know that what you hear... If you are just simply listening, your brain stores it, I'd say 95% of the time, yeah. probably in short-term memory. So ladies, when you tell your husband every six months to fix the gutter on the house, leave him alone. He will get to it when he is good and ready. He put it in short-term memory the way God designed him, okay? <clears throat> and all the men are like, that's my new excuse. <laughs> short-term memory is my best friend right now. Fix the gutter on your house, bro. Anyways, <clears throat> that's just the reality of it. Half the time when you hear something, it just goes right to short-term memory. That's why when you're in a conversation and you're thinking about 700 different things, the moment you go back and you're like, oh, I'm at the store and I was supposed to get... I can't tell you how many times I've had to call my wife in the aisles of Albertsons. What did I come here for? I can't even... Because we're in a conversation, we're just talking and I'm just like, yeah, I look cool. I'm going to run the store. I'm going to go grab it and totally forget short-term memory. It's just a scientific fact. Short-term memory is when your brain hears something, short-term memory, unless there's something dramatic happening. And that's why uh, when, I, when I speak, I like to be very animated. I like to move around the stage. I like to add some action, some inflection into what I'm saying. Not because I want to go home and have no voice this afternoon, right? It's because I want you to walk out those doors remembering more than 90, you know, or remembering more than 3% of the sermon. The reality is you're going to walk out and forget 95% of this thing. I'm okay with that. I only spent 16 hours writing it, but that's okay, right? You just go ahead, right? No, that, that's, just, that's just truth. That's just reality. But because what your mind sees with your eyes, all of a sudden your brain takes that and stores it almost like a photograph. It stores it as like a video clip on your phone. It's so easy to recall, and that's why when we think of Christmas and why we think of the heartache of those who had gone on before us, that's why we get sad because it's almost like we can visualize them sitting on the couch with us because we've seen it. It impacted us. That's why when I say the word barn, most of you think of a red, you know, wooden building, maybe with a white picket fence around it. Maybe you see the horses and the cows and the, and, and the, and the, the hay or chickens or the dog and B-I-N-G-O all happening, right? Because I said barn. And that stirred on a thought and an imagination in your mind because your brain stores images. That's why when I say dairy farm, it's almost like you can smell it. <laughs> it's, it's just right there. It's just, ah, it's right there, right? But it, it's, it's true. Your brain stores it so much better when you see something. And so it's impossible to raise kids and say, do as I say, not as I do. No, they are going to do as they see you do. 
So I, I'm a firm believer of this, and there might be people in the Christian circles who argue this with me, and I don't care, but there is no such thing as generational curses. The curse has been broken through Jesus Christ. Uh, the only thing that is, that is continual through generations is habits. It's behaviors. So if you see something in you you do not like and you don't want it going to your children, change your behavior. There's no such thing as a generational curse. It's generational habits. Fix your habits, fix your life. It's a good title of a book. It probably always is one. Anyways, we, we've got to say, you know, if I'm going to lead this home and I want healthy behavior in my kids or healthy behavior in the people that I influence, I need to have healthy behaviors myself. And Herod is sitting there and he's putting out his actions over the city Jerusalem as his king. And all those under his authority were just following him. They just, so when trouble times come, if Herod's going crazy, the city's going crazy with him. All because of influence. Let me tell you right now, if you are listening to CNN and Fox News more than the words of God, you're going to have a really hard time struggling to enjoy the most wonderful time of the year. I can't tell you the last time that I watched the news. I remember in March of 2020, this thing called COVID happened. And I, I remember that. I watched that on the news. Since then, not really. I can't even tell you the last time I had it on. I, I don't watch the news. Not because I don't trust them. I don't, but <clears throat> I just don't care. I, there, there is nothing that I can do that's going to fix it. The best thing I can do is get on my hands and knees and pray for my country. That, that's, let's be real here. Uh, I want to be a person who prays, not a person who worries. And so he's sitting there, Herod's sitting there. He's got this influence over this city. And man, he is leading this group of, of Jewish people down a path of fear. But think of this now. They're Jews. Jewish men and women who should be excited at the birth of their Messiah. Salvation, deliverance is here. Hope has arrived. God is with us. But instead, it's met with fear. Instead, it's met with, oh no. Rather than a, praise God, he's here. The people of God in fear of their Messiah arriving. I don't want to be someone who's afraid of Jesus showing up. I want to be someone who's looking forward to the day of deliverance. Hallelujah. I want to be someone who says, you know, I got my head on straight. There's some crazy people in charge, but you know what? My eyes and my focus is on Jesus. That's where my gaze is fixed and I will not turn aside. I am following hard after him. So my question in, in this topic, in this area of, of, of the Jews who followed along with Herod in this fear, are we, what are we projecting on the generation beneath us? Am I giving the generation under me fear or hope? Herod was giving out fear and a whole bunch of people followed along with him and they had a troubled time this time of the year. What am I giving to the generation beneath? Is it fear? Is there anything worse I can give than fear? No, there's really nothing worse I can give than fear. Fear is, is paralyzing, it's manipulating, it's tragic to the person who has it. Fear holds back everything. And if I am a person who is giving off fear on the other side of me, what are, what are people perceiving from me? If I'm giving off fear and my kids are going to do what they see me do, not what they hear me say, then all I'm doing is perpetuating fear, perpetuating paralytic times, perpetuating manipulating times, perpetuating tragic outcomes. I want to be someone who is giving off trust and faith in Jesus Almighty to the next generation. I'm, so much so I've literally dedicated my life to talking about his story. Say, man, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell people what it looks like to follow Jesus. Am I perfect? Heck no. 
But man, I'm going to follow him and I'm going to go after him and I'm going to hopefully pass on anything good out of me into this next generation because of the actions and the behaviors that precede me. That's who I want to be. I hope that's who you want to be too. Getting back to it, let's see what Herod did. So the people in Jerusalem are troubled. Either one side fearful of what's going to happen to that little boy or what's going to happen to our city. And the other side just fearful of just everything. Fearful of just life is crazy and I'm just going to follow along with Herod. So we have these two categories of people. What did Herod eventually do? Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, that is again the wise men, he became very enraged and killed all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy that you would go and mass murder all these two-year-old boys. Not only that, boys that were maybe a month old, a week old, maybe a boy that was born that day, a soldier shows up and kills him. Those little boys are innocent. Little boys have done nothing wrong, but he killed them? All of them, Not not just, hey, go find the one. No, he just said, kill all the boys, two years old and under. I will not have competition for someone marching on this throne. He, he's lost his mind. And let me just a little snippet here. This, this is two years later. Jesus is two years old at this time. Maybe a year and a half, but two years. Somewhere right around in this range, okay? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh showed up like two years late. Okay, the magi were just a little behind the ball, okay? If you follow the stars, you're going to be behind, okay? So the shepherds are there. That was funny. If, if you got it, that was funny. Anyways, the shepherds are there night one. Like, they're out in the fields, and they've got their little, you know, shepherd sticks, and they're having a great time just enjoying shepherding. And the angels show up, and they walk into Bethlehem, and they're like, oh, my gosh, it's Jesus. This is amazing. So, like, all the nativity sets that you see, sorry, they're totally inaccurate. Anyways, the, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh show up two years later. And the Magi are warned, we, we skipped over those verses, but they're warned by an angel in a dream and says, hey, do not return that way. Go back home another way. Do not go back to King Herod because he intends to kill the boy. And so they actually leave and they left. And it would have been great if they were like warned, you know, um, Mary and Joseph, like, hey, Herod's coming. You might want to tell like all the boys in this town, like, get out, right? They should have, but whatever, it doesn't matter. And so they, they leave a different way, a different route. And Herod sends the Roman soldiers in, go kill all the boys. Go, they're two years old, they're one years old, they're a month old, they're a day old, I don't care, kill them all. I will not have anybody coming into this place to take over me and to take over my throne. So what is it that caused this mass murder in Herod's mind to make it seem like it was a reasonable thing to do? What, what was going on there? I'll tell you what it was, it was pride. You say, how in the world can you conclude it was his pride? Well, it's very easy. Someone who's covered and, and manipulated by fear is one of the most prideful people you'll ever meet. Nothing fuels pride like fear. Nothing. You show me someone who is fearful and I will show you someone who has masked it with pride. It's the the fear of being found out. The fear of being found out as a fraud, being weak, being wrong, whatever it may be. Fear has a mask and its mask is pride. And it says, you know what? No, 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 hold on. I'm in charge here. No one's coming onto my throne, in my kingdom, in my city, with my people. It's a pride. He's focused solely on him and himself and the one son that he has chosen to become his heir. That's all he's focused on. That's all he cares about. And this fear is fueling him and driving him crazy to go kill all these two-year-old boys in Bethlehem. Again, innocent boys. 
Can, can I just speak to something here real quick? There's nothing more vulnerable than a human baby. But think of all the species. The song we, we just sang is actually completely perfect, talking of creation and all these things and all, these, all of creation worshiping. Think of all creation. Think of all the animals that are ever born here on planet Earth. Human babies are like the most vulnerable of all of them. Any given animal, except for maybe a bird coming fresh out the egg. Okay, whatever, a little turkey. That's why we have Thanksgiving. But maybe, I don't know. But human babies are like the most vulnerable of them all. It, even little fish can swim away when they get afraid or they see something coming their way. Almost every animal is born with the instinct to run, to hide, to get away, to find cover, to find shelter. Human babies, though, are completely dependent upon their parents. 100%. If you take a baby and you just set it down and leave it, that, the little baby's going to die. There, there's no getting around that. But you take a little baby Cheeto that was just born, hey, that thing has a chance to survive. It's got something in it to actually move around and find a way to get food and take care of itself and all these things. But a human baby? No. It's vulnerable. It's completely dependent on what its parents are willing to do to give it the best life that they can. A human baby is vulnerable. And yet, the strongest forces of the day were unable to kill him. The strongest forces in all of Jerusalem were unable to stop and kill Jesus. I'll tell you right now, if it is the will of God, all the destructive forces of evil cannot stop it. Amen. We just got out of this series called Adventure Awaits, talking about your purpose and direction in life and who you are. I'm telling you right now, the devil is not the one stopping you from fulfilling your purpose. You are. The decisions that you are making are the only things holding you back from fulfilling your purpose. And I don't mean that to speak down to you. I mean that to encourage you to say, you know what? I'm not going to be in the way of me. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go accomplish something. I'm going to move after this. I'm going to set a goal and I'm going to make it. You have that ability within you. All the destructive forces of evil cannot stop the will of God. God had a plan that Jesus would be born and that 33 years later he would die on a cross to claim victory and salvation for all of us today. God had a plan and there was nothing that the devil could do. There's nothing that Herod could do that could stop it. So what has God willed in your life? What has God put his stamp of approval on saying, this is what I have for you? I understand that you aren't raising Jesus. The kids in your household are not Jesus. I get that. But you are raising kids and the devil cannot stop them. That's the attitude that we as parents should take to raise our kids. You as a grandparent to take that attitude and say, no, 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 no. The devil does not have a, stole, a, 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 a foothold here. Jesus does. This is his area, his territory. So Herod in all his power and all of his pride and all of his arrogance and all of his fear, he's powerless to kill the baby king. Now, I, I don't think anybody in this room or watching online would ever kill a two-year-old boy or, or mass murder a bunch of boys but I am willing to say that we have killed other things. I, I'm willing to stand up here today and say that we have killed dreams. We have killed visions. I, I think we have killed goals. I think we've killed abilities. I, I think that we stopped those things because we were too proud to admit our fear. Too proud to step out and take a step of humility to accept being wrong, to accept being a fraud, to accept being fake. And in our pride, we halted those things. You see, the other side of this, though, is that we only think that pride affects the person who has it. We think that pride is only an issue that that person has. No, 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 no. Those two-year-old boys were innocent. They didn't have an ounce of pride in their lives. Herod is the one who had pride. 
and they suffered because of his pride. Let me tell you right now, pride is not an isolated issue. It is a community hindrance. We bring it home. We sit on the dining room table and we have our family partake of the fear and the pride that we have perpetuated in our lives. No more. No, I am not a person of fear. I'm not a person who's gonna mask it with pride. I'm a person of humility and faith. I'm gonna trust in Jesus. I'm gonna follow hard after him. And I'm not going to allow my heart to become ill-willed towards the things of God. No. See, I, I find it absolutely ironic that Herod, ripe with pride, fueled with the fear of losing power, and is, is his heart that killed him. It was a destructive heart. It was this heart that showed the true condition of his soul. It's clotted and it's filled with weakness. It was his heart that eventually wrapped out or took away the life out of Herod. And when you look in the Bible, when you look at life in general, a sign of pumping or flowing blood is a sign of life. It's our blood that fills our, our muscles with oxygen to perform and to live. But it was the blood in Herod's veins that was restricted because of a bad heart. Are you restricting life today because you haven't looked into healing your heart? Are you restricting life flowing out of your heart, out of your life, out of your soul to benefit others because we haven't looked into healing what's going on in here? I, I find it so crazy that Herod is, is afraid of Jesus. When Jesus was never there to overthrow him, Jesus was there to set him free. The healing that Herod needed physically and mentally was found in that baby born in Bethlehem. And his, his reaction killed all the boys in that area. Jesus even said, my kingdom is not an earthly one. My kingdom is above, not beneath. My kingdom is much bigger than the world. The, the world is my footstool, he says. My kingdom is much bigger than just this town. He was there to set him free, but his heart was so ill on the inside. His soul was torn. His soul was ripped apart. And Jesus says, no, man, I'm not here to overthrow that. I'm here to heal it. I'm here to bring the healing that you need to your heart physically, mentally, to your mind, and to your soul. That you're tormented with the decisions that you've made. You're, you're set apart with the decisions that you've made, thinking you're unworthy of my love. No, you are completely worthy of his love. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Thinking that the decisions that you've made have separated you too far from him. Maybe your person used to say, man, if I walk through the church doors, the place is going to burn down. I hope it does. Insurance is awesome. Right? I'm just kidding. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> but no, man, you're not too far gone. If Herod wasn't too far gone, what makes you think you're too far gone? You never took a knife to go kill Jesus. He sent an army to go kill this baby. You're not too far gone. You aren't pushed so far aside. No, 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 no. Like Kristen said earlier, you don't even have to walk back to where you were. All you have to do is turn around and say, Jesus, I'm here. And you, you'll see that he's right there with you in the muck and the mire and the clay and the mud. He's right there with you. He's not waiting and sitting over there saying, hey, would you come back over here? No, he's with you in the mess. He's with you in the mud. He's with you in the sin when you're committing it and when you're embracing that lifestyle. He's with you in it. I always tell people this, Jesus is not embarrassed by your sin. Yeah. He died for it. Yeah. He's not embarrassed saying, oh, do you see what they did? Oh my God. No, he is right there yeah. with you in the midst of it. That's how loving he really is. That in spite of all that, he doesn't reject us. Yeah. 
In spite of all that, he says, no, I've sent my son not into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Now, look, we all know the end of the story. We know that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus become refugees because of this moment. Mm -hmm. That they flee to Egypt, and they are there, and they are hiding away from Herod. And when Herod eventually does die, they head back into Nazareth. They get a warning again in a dream, Joseph does. And they say, hey, man, go live in Galilee. And that's why Jesus is called a Nazarite, fulfilling yet again another prophecy. And at the age of 33, Jesus fulfills his life and ministry by dying on a cross to set me and you free. But it was Herod who tried to stop it all, who made the first few Christmases really rough for a lot of people because of fear, because of pride, arrogance, call it what you want. But he was unwilling to give his life as a sacrifice to Jesus and say, hey, I recognize who you are. Do you recognize who Jesus is this morning? Do you need that type of a freedom? Not that your life would be overthrown, but that sin and death would be. That's the only life that Jesus wants to overthrow is a life of sin and death. Do you need freedom from that fear, from that pride, from your life today? I do. I'll be vulnerable enough to admit it. Yeah, I got some areas that I need to submit. I got areas in me that I say, Jesus, this is yours. I, I, I can't carry this burden any longer. So Jesus, here it is. See, you, you think I wrote this sermon to stand up here and preach it today? No, I wrote this sermon because I need it. Yeah. I wrote the sermon because God spoke to me and said, Stevie, this is you, bro. You need to fix this. Yeah. Now, I haven't killed any babies, thank God, but, <laughs> but I need this. I, I need this freedom. I'm just as guilty as the next guy. I'm not up here because I'm a special guy that, you know, God spoke to me. I got to write a sermon. No, no, no. God spoke to me to, to correct me that I would, in my heart, find healing and remove the blood clots of my soul and find out where the fear is, where the the torment is, where the the pride is, where the arrogance is, and where my throne is. Am I the one who wants to sit on the throne of my life or am I willing to give that to Jesus? I'm willing to say, I want to give that to Jesus today. I I want to submit it to him. Look, it, it takes a step of humility. Come close to Jesus and he will come close to you. Ask for that freedom. Let this be the most wonderful time of the year, not because of a holiday, but because you decided to come close to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of creation who loves you, who died for you, who was born for you. There it is. Not because of a holiday, but because of a savior. So my question to summarize this whole thing up, it's the most wonderful time of the year. God saw the perfect and wonderful timing to bring Jesus. Do you see the perfect and wonderful timing that he has brought to you to bring freedom? It's today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let me encourage you with this. If this speaks to you today, that's exciting to me. Uh, I, I truly, it means the world to me that you'd walk out of here and say, you know what, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat with Stevie this morning. I'm going to walk out of here and I, need, I got some things that I need to focus on in my walk with Jesus. That makes me excited. However, if there's someone in the room today, you say, you know what, I've never given my life to Jesus. I'm going to address that. And I want to get to that right now. If I could have every head bowed, every eye closed across this room, just for the sake of privacy, the person sitting around you, if that's you, would you just please, you say, you know what, I've never given my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand for me real fast, please? Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Awesome. We're going to celebrate with this person today. How exciting this is. All heaven, it says in the Bible, that all heaven rejoices when one person returns to Jesus. I'm going to ask us as a family to repeat this prayer after me. Repeat this, say, Father in heaven, heaven. I repent repent. 
today I turn from my ways to embrace your ways. I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. Wash me white as snow. Make me new according to your word. And empower me with your Holy Spirit to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with that person today? How exciting, seriously. Amen. Oh my gosh, I absolutely love it. But let me encourage you, if, if you're in the boat with me today, as we walk out of here, be reminded that you know what? There's nothing you need to do other than say, you know what, Jesus, I'm just gonna take a step to you today. And, I'm, and when I go home this, this, today, this afternoon, this evening, whatever, I'm just gonna take a few minutes. I'm gonna say, God, I, I need that freedom that we talked about this morning. That fear, that pride, that whatever it is on the inside of me, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that to you here in this moment. There's, there's not a prayer that I need to lead you in. There's not anything I need to do. You already have the answer inside of you. His name is Jesus. So it takes you just taking that step and saying, you know what, that's me. A step of humility to admit that it's you. I had to take a step of humility these past few weeks when I wrote this and take a step of humility and say, that's me. God, that's me. I, I want that fixed in my life. And so wherever it is that for you, that for you, I encourage you take that step with Jesus today. Don't delay, man. Get before him on your face and just say, Jesus, I'm giving it to you now in this moment. But hey, we love you. We are so thankful for all of you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you on Wednesday at 7.05. God bless you. Peace out, homies.